What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. With over 7 billion people in the world, we all have one thing in common. Every day, we all get dressed. Welcome to Dressed, the History of Fashion, a podcast where we explore the who, what, when of why we wear. We are fashion historians and your hosts, Cassidy Zachary and April Callahan. And Cass, as our regular listeners will know, our Thursday Fashion History Mystery Minisodes are all about answering your questions. And we have recently received a rather intriguing inquiry from our listener, Andrea Schmatzen. I'm sorry, Andrea, if I butchered your last name. I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce it correctly. <laughs> I think she'll forgive you. <laughs> okay. But uh, sh- she basically wanted to know about the origins of polka dots. Yeah. And this got us very excited because despite the fact that we've been fashion historians for a combined 20 plus years, this is something neither April or I have ever really looked into. So this was a fashion history mystery for not only Andrea, but also for us. Yeah. And so um, the, in these cases where this information is entirely brand new to us, oftentimes our first kind of like path of inquiry is to look around and see if there's any other like really well-respected established scholars who have already published on this topic. And in our case, first we found a really great essay um, in an academic journal called Textiles that was by Stephen Connor. And he is a professor of modern literature and theory at Birkbeck College in London. And that kind of like set us off on the right path um, and also led us to a lot of other like really interesting sources. And one of them is by the art historian Michelle Pastoro, who I'm a big fan of. Um, and I would really, really, really love Cass to see if we could invite him onto the show. Yes, that'd be wonderful. Yeah. And he's written um, a lot about the cultural significance of color. So maybe... If he comes on the show, I'd really like him to do a little bit. He wrote a book on um, the color of the cultural history of the color black, which is amazing. That would be really fascinating because black, as we know, means different things to different cultures around the world. And at different time periods, too. Like it, it, like it may mean one, something in one century and mean something in a different century. So Exactly. That would be incredibly interesting. And. A lot of you have asked actually what goes into researching each episode, and this is really where the digging first starts, sometimes with secondary sources that have used primary sources in their research. And once you keep pulling that thread more and more, great information begins to appear. So I am really excited, April, to hear what you found. Ah, well, first of all, I have to say I was a little bit taken back because I didn't really realize that we needed to take this all the way back, like 
multiple centuries all the way to the Middle Ages. Um, because during the Middle Ages, apparently the wearing of spotted textiles or like spotted motifs was pretty much shunned. And that had to do with the with the fact that at that time, these you know, visual sites of blotches or dots really kind of signified disease. So we have to remember that at this time, you know, there was this very, very real threat of smallpox, you know, the Black Plague, leprosy, measles, syphilis, and the kind of list kind of, you know, goes on and on and on about like how spots are related to disease. And 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 Connor even says, quote, spots rarely, if ever, suggested health or vitality. And it wasn't only even dots that held somewhat spurious connotations because stripes also had these connotations as well. And up until the 18th century, for centuries, striped clothing also held these ideas of otherness. So some leper colonies, for instance, were forced to wear stripes as were prostitutes and prisoners. So stripes really indicated that an individual was to be treated with suspicion and caution. And in pop culture, if you think of characters such as the Hamburglar of McDonald's fame, <laughs> yes. so his black and white striped ensemble was an outward signifier of his criminal nature, something we would see immediately and, you know, kind of associate with crime. Yeah, or just like, oh, maybe stop, right? Um, yeah. but, but, but part of all of this during the Middle Ages and like continuing on into the Renaissance was this kind of relationship of these patterns to the natural world. In the Western world, these crisp, clean stripes were viewed as being highly artificial as a pattern because it was unfamiliar in nature, because that had part to do with the fact that striped animals, such as a zebra, you know, they they weren't obviously native <laughs> to Europe. And, and in fact, they would still kind of like be a wonder that incited, you know, novelty in Europe like 500 years later. I still get excited when I see zebras. <laughs> Who doesn't? <laughs> so the use of stripes and dots holds very different meanings in abundance of non-Western traditions. So in Africa, for instance, many peoples paint the skin of adolescent participants of male initiation rites with dots of paint, and these dots can symbolize power. Sometimes that's referring to the incredible spotted animals like the leopard. We've actually already done an episode on the history of leopard print, so if you haven't given it a listen, please check that past episode out. Yeah, and, and it's really, cast not only Africa that had a different take on, like, this motif of spots and even stripes. You know, Ottoman culture, um, they had a very common design motif in Ottoman textiles that was called the chintamani. And it's basically um, comprised of a triangle made up of three dots. Um, the three dots themselves were thought to reference a lucky jewel and Buddhist imagery. And, um, but these dots were almost always accompanied by two wavy lines that were thought to either represent flames or tiger stripes. I mean, any way you try to interpret this, like it's basically a symbol of power. Right. And so while the East and the West have had very different takes on stripes and spots throughout the year, the spot took on a new meaning during the Industrial Revolution in the West when major advancements in textile production made spotted patterns based on a geometric grid possible for the first time. So this came with the invention of roller printing at the tail end of the 18th century. And that was just one technological advancement that played into this uh, mass printing of spots. Yeah, because um, before this, like, even if one had attempted to do, like, 
dots or spots on their own. It was going to be somewhat irregular, you know, because it was being done by way of hand or eye. And in the past, in all these prior centuries, you know, spots were basically perceived as being ominous. So now, all of a sudden in the 19th century, this new kind of like, quote unquote, control over the perfect dotted motif, um, you know, was was born again as being new and modern. And, and this moment actually happens to coincide exactly with more than a few dance crazes that happened across Europe and the Americas around this same time. And this is where the polka comes in, which I thought was... Yes. I've never put those two together, polka dots and polka, but I think it's pretty obvious once you think about it. <laughs> And it's actually polka with a U if we want to be correct about it. But this is a dance that's based on a half step. And it was purportedly invented by a Czech uh, peasant girl, Anna Slezak. And by 1835 was the craze of dance floors in Prague. And it quickly spread to Paris, England, and the U.S. in the 1840s. And this is the exact same moment when the innovations in technology, April referenced earlier, were allowing the textile industry to grow exponentially. So basically, it wasn't long cast before anybody anywhere that had anything to sell (laughs) started trying to like slap this name polka in front of whatever the thing was. You know, then basically people were just trying to like capitalize on this hot new trend. I mean, we talked about this before um, in terms of uh, the swimsuit, the bikini even. Remember? I do. Yeah. So, um, but basically, um, all of a sudden we start to see things like even like new music being created to not only dance to the polka steps, but, but things like desserts were started to be named polka this or polka that. And of course, clothing being a major commodity, um, also began to be marketed using this term polka. It appears it may have been the American fashion magazine Godie's Ladies Book that first coined the term polka dot associating the quick half steps with the happy dot pattern. So over the next few decades, spotted motifs went from signifiers of death and disease to being one of the more cheerfully, universally adored patterns in the world. Yeah, and and now like I, the polka dot is really kind of um, this symbol of that indicates fun, frivolity, and even sometimes innocence because it's oftentimes in, incorporated into children's wear. And you know, I I think that cast that polka dots are this really fascinating example of how an iconography basically is culturally constructed, and and the meaning of these things can shift over time. And that's just like this bigger overarching language of fashion that you and I examine undressed, you know, every single episode. Absolutely. And that reminds me actually of the clothing that flamenco dancers wear, flamenco being a Spanish dance that has really world, I mean, people come to see it all over the world. But the interesting thing about flamenco is that we're here in New Mexico, we're really an epicenter of the flamenco dance culture. So people come here from around the world every year to study and learn. And so the polka dot is a really pervasive design element on women's um, dresses. And just a little bit of research, it appears that the dots of flamenco costumes comes from this tradition of putting small round mirrors on clothing to ward off evil. So really interesting. Yeah, so it's um they're apotropaic symbols basically, and um it's not only within Spanish culture that they exist; they also um, exist in Asian culture as well, um and and even African culture, um where you would put these little bits of glass or mirrors to like ward off the evil eye. 
Yeah, really fascinating. Our listeners have been giving us really fascinating questions and we're learning new things every week because of it. Yeah, I learned so much from this one. So thank you. Yeah. So any other fashion history news we should discuss? Um, well, you were here this week and what, what about what about museum exhibitions? Yeah, I was in New York and of course I spend my time immersing myself in as many museum exhibitions as possible. That's really easy to do at the museum at FIT at the Fashion Institute of Technology because they currently have three fashion exhibitions. So Exhibitionism, 50 Years of the Museum at FIT celebrates 50 years of exhibitions at the museum. So um, they kind of have a bunch of little vignettes from um, a selection of their exhibits over the years. And um, I bet you can guess what my favorite is, and it's the vignette about <laughs> Paul Poiré. <laughs> but uh, there's also a really wonderful uh, couple of dresses by Lucille on display. That was a graduate student exhibition um, probably about 10 years back about the famed couturier Lucille Lady Duff Gordon. So that was really cool to see as well. And then, of course, I was there to speak about the Trapagan School of Fashion, um, which you absolutely have to check out. That was a wonderful exhibit put on by the grad students. They were lovely to me and so welcoming. So congrats to them. And also, Fabric and Fashion explores the role played by textiles in forming the silhouette in Western fashion over the last 250 years. So if you're in New York and you can get to FIT, I highly recommend it because also it is free to the public. Always, always, always. Oh, and you know what else I got to on Saturday, which I wish I had spent more time at, is the Hilma Afklimpf exhibit, uh, which is not fashion particularly, but it's not fashion. How but incredibly beautiful. Okay. As somebody who worked as a gallerist for 10 years of their life, which is a long time, and I still follow art like pretty tightly and have a lot of it in my home, um, that show was the best show that I've seen in the last 10 years. Absolutely. Hands down. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you can Google her. And more importantly, if you're in New York City, make sure you get to this exhibition. It's at the Guggenheim. So um, it starts downstairs and then it spirals up in this wonderful revelatory story about this woman artist. She was a finely trained artist who basically discovered um, mysticism mm-hmm. and became a medium. And a lot of her artwork is a reflection of her connection with the spirit world. And it is so fascinating and so incredibly beautiful and really ahead of its time. She's basically redefining art history because she was an abstract artist before abstract artists existed. Yeah. And she even knew that she was a- ahead of her time. So she actually put it in like her will to her estate that Mm -hmm. her work was not going to be allowed to be shown until after her death, after this certain time period. And, and, and actually like, I think it was like something like 15 years or something like that. I could, I could be wrong on that, but um, in actuality, it didn't get shown for that much longer, which in my opinion made her work so much more poignant because you can see the history of abstraction that unfolded after her in the hands of men and she was doing this all like years, light years ahead of them. It's fascinating. So very fascinating. Make sure you check that out. I think that does it for us today, April. I think so too. So um, that's the end of our Fashion History Mystery episode this week. Um, please check in back with us on Tuesday for our full-length dressed episode. Yeah, and if you have a question you would like answered on our weekly Thursday edition of Fashion History Mystery, please write to us at dressed at iheartmedia.com 
or direct message us on Instagram at dressed underscore podcast. We'll catch you on Tuesday. Bye.